0: You're listening to the Sportsman's Empire Podcast Network brought to you by Full Sneak Gear. Check out their entire lineup at fullsneakgear.com. Also be sure to check out our entire stable of podcasts at sportsmansempire.com. This episode of the Sportsman's Empire is brought to you by Interstate Batteries. Since 1952, Interstate Batteries has been evoking compassion and a trustworthy spirit into the surrounding communities. Interstate Batteries is a mission-driven company fueled by purpose and guided by their values. If you need help locating a specific battery, stop into your local Interstate Batteries retail store and speak with a battery specialist. They even offer cell phone repairs. Interstate Batteries, outrageously dependable. Welcome to the Nine Finger Chronicles Hunting Podcast. I'm your host, Dan Johnson, and I can't believe that 2024 marks 10 years of podcasting. Over the last decade, I have had the pleasure of talking with hundreds upon hundreds of passionate outdoors men and women who share the same excitement for hunting as I do. Whether you hunt public lands or private property, shoot traditional archery equipment or high powered rifles, we all have one thing in common. And that's our love for the great outdoors. This year, I plan on continuing that tradition and bringing educational and entertaining content to your ears. Thank you for your continued support, and I hope you all have the best seasons of your life. Good vibes in, good vibes out. friday everybody welcome to another episode of the nine finger chronicles and today is a very special day not only because it's friday but because this is a big day in our family my daughter is attending aau girls wrestling state championship believe it or not there's about a thousand girls that are going to be in this place called the um Powerhouse Alliant Energy Center, and it's basically a big arena where rock bands or any type of band comes through the area. Comedians have been there, um, different types of shows. We've been there for a monster truck rally, so it's just a big event. There's 12 wrestling mats laid out on the floor of this arena, and kids from kindergarten all the way to seniors in high school—all girls—are going to be wrestling and. Uh, As of right now, women's wrestling, girls wrestling, is one of the fastest-growing sports in the United States. And uh, it is a sport that used to be just boys. And then as all sports, really, a couple girls started creeping in. And I believe Arizona just had the first-ever women's high school state champion in the boys division so uh, think of that what you will but anyway my daughter's going to be wrestling this weekend saturday for sure if she wins twice then she'll wrestle on sunday but we've we have to make sure we're checking our weight all the time she has to be 75 pounds on the button if she's 75.1, then she'll have to wrestle in a higher age class. So this week we've really been managing our, uh, uh, her, her diet, making her eat really clean, making sure she's right where she needs to be for a good weigh in. And uh, right now she's, she's on pace to do that. So uh, that's what is going on in our world this weekend. Another thing that I found out that I hate, I think I always knew that i hated it but man shopping for vehicles fucking sucks a big fat one and i don't even really know how to explain it but imagine being stuck somewhere with someone that you don't want to be with and that is that's how uncomfortable it is right like i don't know my experiences have never gone well right and so for the longest time i've been waiting uh like shopping for new vehicles and finally i had to pull the trigger Uh, my old truck it still still runs really well but every time i shut my door rust falls off my truck somewhere (laughs) and so that's the shape it is it's in i believe it's taken its last trip out west and so I need something that's a little bit more reliable and that can pull our pontoon boat anyway here's the here's the, the short story the short story is I go shopping right I, I go into a couple dealerships um, I'm starting to talk with the salesmen and uh, you know a couple salesmen you know everybody's different but some some salesman is just like real laid back here's the price whatever others are real aggressive hey i saw you have you know you're interested in this vehicle what can i do to make it happen and you know i test drove a couple vehicles i I look at them and there's one company that was like oh dude well you know this is the price and then by the time i stop communication with them they've come off at about you know two or three thousand dollars they are uh you know they're they're telling me all these great things about the vehicle, you know the all the information that I already know because I go to car gurus and Carfax and I search accidents and how many owners it's had, you know. And so there's those types of guys, and there's the other kind guys that just they don't even seem interested in making a sale. They're just like, mm, yeah, this is what it is, and um, we're not going to move on the price. And so a couple trucks that I tried to negotiate with to hit a uh, you know the the price point that i was looking for fell through and then uh I, like here's where it's just like not necessarily deception but how some of these people talk blows my mind right and so the i i go on car gurus and i see a vehicle for sale i go to the dealership to look at it instantly it's two thousand dollars higher at the dealership Right, because CarGuru looks at one price, and the uh, and while well, maybe that's like a discounted rate if you do certain things. Okay, if you don't do those certain things, then you get the then you have to pay a different price. Well, of course, I don't want these other add-ons in order to get the uh, get whatever price it was. I have to I have to do so many things in order to get this price. So so I don't want to really call it a bait and switch. Jesus, man, it, it, I go in there, I say, what's the price of this truck? They say, it's this price. Uh, I said, what about all, and then so he runs the numbers, he hands it to me and he goes, I said, what are, there's like these itemized lines on it. And it was all these different warranties. And I said, what about these warranties? Yeah, those come with a vehicle. I'm like, so they come with it or are they an option? Well, they just kind of come with a vehicle. And, and so I stood up to walk out, And then the guy comes and goes, well, hey, just one one second, if you have time, I'd like to rerun some numbers for you. And so in my head, I'm just like, why don't you run the numbers right the first time and give me the best possible deal on it? That way we're saving each other a lot of time. I didn't say that right away, but anyway, he comes, he comes back and shows me a new price Uh, and then I walk out the door, I get back in my truck, I driving off the lot another guy who's the manager waves me down takes another thousand dollars off the price and is like hey man I gotta get you you know like whatever you need whatever you need it was a good truck I ended up buying it but the the point is is just sell me the truck don't try to bamboozle me into all these extras don't try to reword it here's the price this is these are the add-ons Here's a warranty add-on here's a warranty add-on and here's your price for the truck oh you don't want that warranty add-on okay scratch it off scratch it off and they don't ever really tell you these are optional right and so obviously these guys gotta make their livings too but it just makes me feel like i don't know maybe i know there's guys out there who are car car salesmen who don't do this and i'm not saying all of all car salesmen are bad but my my vehicle buying experience has never been like an extremely positive one so if you are a car salesman dude reach out to me i want to talk to you about tips and tricks to buying your next hunting truck and and how to negotiate price and i don't know if that would violate you know what you guys are all about and, and like the the code of conduct for a vehicle salesmen. But I would love to talk with someone who's who's a, a good car salesman who's not into the old style of trying to swindle people out of their money. Uh, I, again, horrible, horrible experience uh, with car shopping in the past. Now I have a brand new truck sitting in my not brand new but new to me uh, truck sitting in my my uh, driveway, and uh, now I got to so- somehow try and sell a. Piece of shit. And I think when I f- post it to Facebook Marketplace, I'm just going to be like, if you're looking for a truck that will start and will get you from point A to point B, this piece of shit is right for you. So <laughs> I got to do that yet. Anyway, today's podcast is with one of my oldest friends in the hunting space, in the hunting industry, in the hunting community, Tim Kent. We've known each other for a very long time. We talk on at least a monthly basis and we get into that conversation it's a really good conversation about a guy who's right around my age we talk about family we talk about sacrifice we talk about success and and obviously we are outdoorsmen and hunters so we rope all of that into the conversation as well we talk about how our goals have kind of changed and and what what kind of experience we want as hunters you know he's He's kind of into the land leasing. He's, he leases a farm, so he's into the food plots and the habitat management and things like that. I unfortunately don't have the available, you know, the, the option to do that. But again, uh, really, really good conversation. Now, before we get into today's episode, I need to run through just a quick run through of all the partners here on this on the nine finger chronicles Uh, do me a favor go visit these guys if anything just to just to take a look at the products that they offer take a look at them maybe they fit your needs maybe they don't but i'll tell you all of these companies that i work with their products have a place in your daily weekly yearly uh, pursuit of wild game fishing in the outdoors so uh first off huntworth all right everyday clothes hunting clothes hunting camo uh some of the best in the business for the most affordable prices go check out huntworthgear.com woodman's pal if you're looking for a habitat tool you gotta go check out the woodman's pal it's a machete Um, this thing is durable it's made in america and i use it for cutting shooting lanes trimming uh, trail camera like areas to put my trail camera, hacking stuff that's in the way, access routes, all that good stuff. Uh, Woodman'sPal.com, made in America. Code Blue Sense, dude, you got to go check out the Ropadope system, codebluesense.com. I do have a discount code NFC20. Take a look at all of their products. I'm sure there's something uh, in their lineup that will help you get deer into shooting range uh, this upcoming season Vortex Optics uh, I believe later this week or next week I got a a podcast scheduled with Mark Boardman where we're going to talk a little bit about optics and some other hunting gear and equipment that we use on a regular basis Uh, kind of a suggestion type episode I believe I'll call it so uh, VortexOptics.com Man, they got everything they have uh spotting scopes rifle scopes binoculars range finders range, find, range finders that are built into binoculars so they got it all vortexoptics.com wasp archery most of their heads are still made in the united states they have some of the best material used to build broadheads with some of the best designs for mechanicals and fixed blades love these heads they do a lot of damage they cause a lot of hemorrhaging a lot of blood loss and that's why i use them and that's why i'm confident in them Lostbarchery.com. discount code nfc20 tethered if you're looking for a saddle saddle hunting accessories please go to tetherednation.com read up on all of the new products that they're offering and their new lineup that's only going to be in retail stores so keep an eye out for uh, for that as well. And that's uh, tethernation.com. Last but not least, full sneak gear, baby. Uh, my company, I just started oh, December or January. I can't even remember how long I've had it. But sales are doing very well. Uh, I'm not pushing it too terribly hard right now just from a time crunch. But if you're looking for some kick-ass apparel, uh, t-shirts with deer on it, uh, cool designs, cool uh, crew necks cool stocking caps and hats every single month i'm going to try to add at least one thing and have a really good lineup for you guys to choose from so fullsneakgear.com and that's it let's get into today's episode with my good friend tim kent three two one all right ladies and gentlemen i don't really know like We've known each other and we've been friends through these types of conversations, you know, over the years. We don't hang out with each other per se a lot, but we do communicate with each other almost more than I communicate with guys who I would consider my closest friends. So that by default makes you a friend of mine, a good friend of mine, Mr. Tim Kent. How you doing, man?
1: Good. Right back at you, man. And You know, it's kind of funny when you work in this type of space like an enthusiast industry i feel like we find a lot of people that you know are friends from afar you know and yeah. you, you wish you lived closer together but then at the same time you're like oh man if we live closer together would it fall into the same tempo as everybody else that lives close to me and i'd be like oh dude i'm sorry i haven't <laughs> seen you in so long you know we haven't talked in a while it's almost you end the. Of- taking it for granted it's sort of weird
0: yeah i dude i can attest to that my best friend literal literally uh uh not maid of honor groomsman right the best man best man he lives across the street from me no doubt two houses away and we very rarely hang out i mean every once in a while we'll i'll see him outside with his daughter he'll see me outside with my kids and then we meet in the street and we talk for a little bit but that doesn't happen every week. And so even though yeah. he is one, one of my best friends and he lives so close, we still don't hang out with each other as much as we thought we would.
1: Dude, I don't even – it's so strange. Like I don't even talk to my parents as much as I really should. You, yeah. you know, it's just – I was just thinking that this morning. I We had my parents over. They helped us grind some, some venison, um, not this past Sunday, but the Sunday before and then they stayed for supper and whatever else and then i was thinking last night you know as i was walking in the door i'm like oh geez i haven't talked to my parents in a week and a half (laughs) but it's like that's my parents it's so hard you get caught up in the hustle and bustle of life whatever that is for all of us and you know it's just like oh shit, i should have done this or or whatever i should have called so and so and that's what's nice like with folks like you and I is every once in a while, you just kind of have the pop in like, Oh man, I haven't talked to Dan in a while. I'm yep. going to give him a shot and we catch up and kind of go over what's new and, you know, yeah, help each other out and give advice. And I think that's what good friends are all about. You don't need to be around each other all the time or see each other every day. The best ones you can just pick up right where you left off.
0: Yep. Absolutely. Um, you mentioned calling your parents. That's one thing that I do a lot. I don't know yeah. I, I I I am I and I think a lot of it has to do with this 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 I don't know it wasn't an article or it was a post or something like that probably that I read uh I'd say about three years ago. And basically what it says is hey, if you only see your parents once a year or twice a year, then you're you know, in the next however many years, you only have like 20 times you'll see them again. and and like So I took that to heart, and I see my parents more than that because they stay real active in my kid's life. But as far as, dude, I call my dad multiple times a week. I call my mom multiple times a week. And just touch base with them, just bullshit with them. I got an 88-year-old grandma who... And I've talked about this in other podcasts, like my grandparents were the biggest influences in my life, period. Mm. And I make it a point to call her at least weekly to give her an update. And it's crazy how appreciative that she is of those phone calls, right? Which makes me believe like, dude, that's what I want. I want my grandchildren to be in contact with me and and things like that. Because there's a lot of times where life just splits people apart
1: yeah no doubt like you my my grandparents especially my two grandfathers I, I lost both my grandmothers relatively young the one passed away when i was 10 and the other one i was 20 mm-hmm. but you know still it's relatively young yeah. um and uh but my grandfathers and i were were close i mean we would talk at least once a week you yeah. know i my one grandfather lived in florida part of the year and uh i would take my breaks and i'd go down and hang out with him yeah. I'd, I'd fly you know what i mean that he picked me up at the airport you know sometimes i go down with friends sometimes i go down myself and mm-hmm. i go down multiple times a year the rent was really good price you know the food was okay we lived like bachelors and watched seinfeld and laughed our asses <laughs> off and it was awesome. you know and that's that's what we did we'd, we'd go and we'd jump in the car and you know we'd ride around we'd go to the beach and hang out and do whatever but it was it was awesome and you know when i lost him i was i was just devastated yeah. and you know i i lost him probably shoot i don't know 15 plus no I, I wasn't even married so probably about 20 years ago
0: yeah
1: and i still i mean it still weighs on me and to have somebody that has that much impact on your life is just uh is just so critical and and you, you feel so fortunate and that's yeah. why you know, when I i haven't been in touch with my parents or whatever, I'm like, dang it. And I'm super guilty of letting my day-to-day, you know, responsibilities yeah. or communication. And part of it is by the end of the day, I've been on the phone so much or I've done so many things. Like the last thing I want to do is jump on the phone or there's some other thing that's kept me from doing something else. And I got to jump to that and just, yeah, it, it, I got to do a better job of it. I, I, I suck. But at the same time my parents don't call me a lot either. So it's, you know, but you got to be the proactive one. I I feel like you got to be the one. So to your point about your grandma, you know, she's probably continuing to live her life a little bit vicariously through you, even if it's not something you share a common bond on, she just, you know, you're doing stuff. And that's, I think that's exciting for the people that we're akin to It was for them to see us just out there doing stuff and finding success or, you know, finding our path or whatever it is.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> when it comes to life, how do you, how do you, how does Tim Kent balance? Cause if you want to be successful, you have to sacrifice. Like, let's say yeah. in business, you have to sacrifice something else. If you want to be a, a extremely successful deer hunter, you have to sacrifice in other aspects of, of, your life. And I've been going through that. I guess you would call it a struggle over the years, being self-employed, working every day. It feels like, you know, there's no off days, really. Um, trying to balance my job, trying to balance being a father, trying to balance being a husband. How do you, how do you do that or, or approach that?
1: Very poorly. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. <laughs> um, no, it's, it's a matter of prioritization, right? Yeah. And I've talked about this a lot. Whether it's you know on, a, on on podcasts, you and I have talked about it. Whether it's people that I coach or whatever. And it's just you know it's it's not a matter of time. It's a matter of priority. And going back to my statement about my parents, like I say, like oh, it's difficult to find the time. Well, no, you're just an asshole. You've been bad at prioritizing <laughs> that thing. You know, you you time block you time block opportunities for all this other stuff. You really should be time blocking, you know, Wednesday night at seven o'clock. And that's when you call mom and dad every week. And if you know that that's what you do, then that's what you do. And that's, so that's the thing. Like, I know I, I wake up most days. Winter is a little bit different, but I wake up most days and I know the first thing I'm going to do is brush my teeth. Right. But right. then the next thing, well, I'm going to take a piss. Right. Yeah. And then I'm going to brush my, yep. after I've washed my pants. But <laughs> And, then, you know, then I'm going to then I'm going to go to the gym and mm-hmm. or I'm going to go for a run. And that's that's part two. And then after that, I eat breakfast. And then after that, I start work and it's sort of the same sequence. And then my work day is blocked out for the things that I need to accomplish. And I might I might have things that each week they're consistent, whether they're consistent um, conference calls that I need to do or they're consistent meetings that I need to have or they're consistent calls with whomever. But then, then there's the ad hoc stuff that might come up the day before that I need to find a way to add in to each day, you know. And so for me, it's just a re reshuffling of the deck and a prioritization thing. And, you know, I know that I always need to make time for my kids. Mm-hmm. You know, my my older daughter runs track. And so in the spring, you know, just about a month from now, she'll, she'll start having meets. Mm-hmm. And um, <clears throat> that's Tuesday night. You know, and they might have to change it due to weather or whatever, but I know that Tuesday night at five o'clock, I gotta be either at our high school or another high school for a track meet. And yeah. I block out that time and that's that's her time. That's her her sister's and her mom's time. And it's like a little bit of family stuff. And then usually after that we'll go grab a bite to eat. It, for my world, that's that's the important thing is like identifying what those priorities are and then making sure that I earmark the appropriate time and that's how they, I pack it all in. And then the things that are of lesser priority, they just fall down the list and they get time when, when you might have it. Like mm-hmm. I don't mow my lawn anymore, you know, not to sound highfalutin or anything, but we have somebody else mow our lawn because, man, it just – it's it's just too much each week to go out and do that that thing when I could be spending that time doing something else. Another yard project on the honeydew list or spending time with Heather and the kids or doing whatever. So I just I just don't do it. You know and uh it costs some money, but to me that you know that trade off is is worth it. You know and and I I just I've shed the things that aren't as meaningful. I used to you know bass fish a ton when i was younger i i loved bass fishing then i when i moved to new york the bass fishing isn't as good here i didn't have the path to discovery bass fishing just went away you know what i mean and now i i do other stuff i mean i'll pick up a rod every once in a while if the kids want to go or you know we're in a place that has a good opportunity but it's just it's one of those things i I just don't i don't i don't put it on my on my list you know Saturday's not fast
0: day yeah I was I was thinking about success the other day as far as just a general thought thinking about what is success and there's a lot of people in this world that uh, I don't know how, what's the word I'm looking for a lot of people they they put these Individuals on a pedestal, and they say, Man, I wish I could be like this guy. I wish I could be like that guy. And I'm just going to now reference in our space some of the people who are who we look up to. And I'm not saying it's all of them, but who we look up to. And we say, Oh, dude, I wish I could go do that. What we don't know, and, and this is uh, knowledge that I've gained after talking with some of these people, is they're gone. 100 like 150 days to 200 days out of the year right they leave their families behind or they don't have kids or they're divorced or you know like they there's yeah. these things that almost have negative connotations with with that success and i just keep going back to my going back to myself and just being like none of that is worth for me anyway none of that i i don't want to sacrifice my family for any type of success at all ever.
1: Yeah, I think you're, you know, I'm, and I know you are too, very yeah. centered around my family. Like yeah. that's the number one thing that I try and do. I try and be home for dinner mm-hmm. every night. But if I'm not home for dinner, the first thing I do is I walk in the door and I greet my my wife, She's usually, she usually greets me. Mm-hmm. But, and then first thing I do is my kids are always in the same spots. Yeah. <laughs> you know that it's just habitual. But I go in and I I talk to my one daughter cuz she's usually downstairs. Hey, how was your day? You know, and try and try and pull out what the highlight was. Not yeah. some high level thing. Get them to talk about something specific. And I talk to her for a few minutes. And then I go upstairs and I talk to her older daughter in her room and it's the same thing. I ask her about her day. I ask her something specific. You know, cuz I mean for me the thing is like I I want I want my kids to always look be like, yeah, my dad cared about what was going on in my yeah. world, you know, and, and tried to know where I was emotionally at all times, you know, which when you have teenagers, which, which I do, that's difficult to begin with. Yep. And they're, they're going through challenging times. We've, we've all been there. That is the one point in my life I would absolutely not go back to. Cause it was fun yet brutal at the same time. Right. The amount of pressure at that point in your life is absolutely wild. Mm-hmm. Um, but, you know, I want to be involved, you know, yeah. and we we have, you know, like back to the dinner thing, like we have meaningful conversations, you know, every night when well, maybe not every night, but yeah, <laughs> but we have meaningful conversations as a family for supper. We do a lot of stuff. And it's funny, I was talking to a real estate client of mine um, a few weeks back and she's like, you know, But back when I was a kid, you know, she's in her 70s. She's like, you know, that was when your parents were your parents and they weren't your friends.
0: Yeah.
1: I really thought about that statement. And I was like, you know, is that an advantage or is that a disadvantage? You know, maybe there's times where I'm probably soft on my kids because we are a little bit too close and we are a little bit too friendly. And but at the same time. You know, I, I've I and my parents did the same thing with me. Like I know I've developed a a unique relationship with my girls. Mm-hmm. You know, for the first two years that both of them were alive, I only worked three days a week because yeah. I took care of them for two days a week. Mm-hmm. Um, I would try and squeeze in work while they were napping or occupied by Teletubbies or whatever. Right, but, right. You know, I made i I made that time, and as a result now I feel like I have a unique relationship with them by comparison to a lot of their, their peers mm-hmm. and their dads. And both of our girls have some really great peer groups and some really great families that they all came from, which is awesome. You know, cause they all kind of take care of one another, if that makes sense. Mm-hmm. But to, to just know that I have that relationship because kind of bringing it full circle, I want my kids to want to call me, you know, and, yeah. and find the time to call me when I'm, you know, when I'm a grandpa or even when I'm not and just check in and, right. you know, that's, a, that's, and I want to talk to my parents. I, I do enjoy doing that. I've just hit a failure mode in my life that, you know, doing yeah. that the last few years, just yeah. playing whack-a-mole.
0: Yeah. I'll tell you this, man. I, I often debate of like what kind of father I should be. And is it the really strict? Is it the fun loving dad? You know, is it the strict dad? And I think I've, I've done a good job at, it's probably a little bit more strict than it is like fun loving friend dad. But here's what I'll say. When I give my kids structure and I say to them, Hey, listen, I need you to go clean your room. And they'll go, I don't want to clean my room or go, you know, go do this. And I, And I make them do it after they don't like it. They go and do it. But afterwards, I can still get them to come over and give me a hug, sit on my lap, hang out with them and things like that. And they keep coming back to me for that. And so that tells me right there that I'm doing something right because God forbid, and I don't, I don't know how to say this properly, but I don't want to turn my kids into pussies, right? I have to, I have to teach them how to handle pressure in their life. And if I have to write them a little bit, then in order to get to that conclusion, then I think that's what you need to do.
1: Another day is here and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. I think that's one of the most important things and that'll be the great separator as we move forward, as our world continues to change, especially as more technology comes into play and people don't know how to communicate and have interpersonal relationships as well, Mm -hmm. but to have those interpersonal skills and have that drive and the coupling of those two things will be, will be critical um my, my kids are not the world's best students they don't the apple doesn't fall far from the tree uh, but the one thing that their teachers always comment on is they're like your kids know how to work mm-hmm. and your kids uh know how to communicate and it's like i never worry about them being you know back to your term like successful in life because they possess those two skills yeah. you know if you have that you're you're that much further ahead You know, to your point about success, I I think there's a lot of times where people will also say like, "Oh, if if I had, or if Mm -hmm. if if I this, or if I did that," and it's like you are only seeing this little keyhole view Mm -hmm. of what those people did or are doing. You to your point about sacrifice, you don't know what kind of sacrifice they had to make. You don't know what kind of discipline they had to have. You don't. You know, you're seeing you know like let's talk about television shows like all, all you're seeing are the good days like you, you know what i mean you're seeing all the very best days you're not seeing all the days that are absolutely terrible and you know the days where they don't want to get up or they don't want to do something and it's the same it's the same thing with anything you know like you know it doesn't matter if you're a fitness influencer or a, or you know a hunting influencer or a hunting TV show person or somebody who's a newscaster or whatever and they think like oh how would they get that break well generally speaking they probably work their ass off mm-hmm. unless they're Anderson Cooper and they're related to you know a wealthy family there you but go. you know <clears throat> but still that guy i'm sure had to make sacrifice in order to achieve his his position and where he yeah. is yeah, know, still had to work for things.
0: You just have to make sure that the sacrifice is the thing that you're sacrificing is weighed right. I don't know how to, I don't know how to say that you just, so like for me, if I'm sacrificing time away from my family, I have to balance that really well. Cause I, I don't want to sacrifice my family too much. Cause ultimately if I leave on a hunting trip, my family is sacrificing because they don't have me there to help with, the uh, you know, running the household. So,
1: yeah, you don't want to damage your cornerstones. Exactly. Right. I mean, that's, that's the thing. Like the, the things that matter most, you don't want to damage those. You can damage your cobblestones because mm-hmm. they're replaceable. They're small. They're not as significant. But man, you damage those cornerstones. You, you know, you, you mess up your relationship with your wife or your kids or somehow your work or whatever. Like you're in trouble. Right. You, you know, it's going to be difficult to recover from that. And now that's negatively impacted your foundational structure, who you are and your abilities to move forward, you know, again, on a strong foundation. So yeah. you, you got to prioritize all that. Yeah.
0: So on a couple episodes ago, I was talking with Tony Peterson, a mutual friend of ours and, Oh, that, guy. Oh, that guy. And we had a, you know, we had a conversation about, um, like midlife crisis, okay oh yeah and that that's kind of where i want to pivot to on this one is do you or first off what year if you can pinpoint a year or maybe however many years ago did you hunt the most days out of the year do you have do you remember that year and how many days was it out of the year
1: it i was probably in my early to mid 30s Mm -hmm. so i would say somewhere in the 32 33 34 yeah time frame um my kids were younger but still at that age where they were kind of well let's see so our youngest daughter would have been pretty young at that point but but getting to the point of being manageable Mm -hmm. and then our older one would have been to the point where there was independence developing if that makes sense so it made it easier for heather she's always been really supportive of time of field um but it probably would have been around that time i mean i used to do three four five i think the most i ever did was like seven out of state hunts in one year holy smokes and uh yeah and uh i wish i had that money back but um (laughs) but you know um but it was a lot and, and in retrospect I look at it now and I go, Oh wow, that, that was probably too much. To your earlier point, that's yeah. probably why some of these people end up divorced, mm-hmm. single, you know, whatever, hated by their spouse, <laughs> their kids. And and you know, I just didn't wanna do that. I do I do think one of those years I was like super, super happy, but I think that's kinda when you're in a, a point in your life where you're really starting to blossom overall. Yeah with with all things mm-hmm. and you're just are like oh yeah this is pretty good i'm in a, i'm in a pretty sweet run right now but um but overall like i don't li- i don't like hunting not that i don't like hunting that much but i don't i don't like going that much because now i've seen the, the downside risk of some of that whether again it's on the road or even at home like i used to hunt darn near every day at home now i just cherry pick whenever the the weather is going to be best or i have you know Intel from a camera that says I should do something or whatever. But other than that, you know, I'm more selective now than I've ever been. And I I seem to enjoy my days of field quite a bit more and don't have the same level of frustration that might ensue when you have three, four, five days in a row that things don't go how you wanted them to, you know,
0: so. Why do you think guys around our age who have been in – not not the hunting industry but who have been in it meaning hunting uh you know for damn near 20 years now or more we start to slide away from quantity and and try to pull quality hunts
1: um i don't know if you've ever heard of that five stages of the hunter term Mm-mm. right so um, there's like the initiate. I, I might get these exact terms wrong, but there's like the initiation phase. There's the, the the limiting out phase, the trophy phase, the process phase, and the sportsman's phase. But I think, you know, you can be in multiple phases at the same time. But I think when you're when you're kind of pushing towards something every day, there's probably like an for me there was like an element of I needed to get that field experience and that field knowledge and everything else, and and then and then apply that every time I was going and then maybe experience the success from it. Um, And success doesn't mean necessarily that you ran an arrow or a bullet through a, through a big deer's chest. Right. It it might mean that you, you still outsmarted them, but you missed them or they were just outside of your effective range. You know, your effective bow range, you know, maybe your range is 40 and big buck walk 50, you know, it's just like, ah, man, so close yet so far away. Yeah. But you get to this, you get to, for me, you get to this point where you start carrying those pieces of experience forward with you and you, and you look at it and you want to apply it in a different way or, or you're more involved in the process side of things. I mean, at this point in my life and in my hunting career, I get a lot more excitement and a lot more gratification, I think almost out of like going and working dirt and putting in food plots mm-hmm. and you know doing that type of stuff or doing a habitat improvement or I mean stupid stuff man like watching a deer interact with a licking branch that I created you know what I mean that mm-hmm. or or you know a rope or, or anything like that I just I really dig that or switching things up and going from hunting out of a tree stand that's in this location to hunting out of a ground blind that's in that location because it was just a little bit smarter but for the longest time i thought well eventually that deer is going to walk past me if i stay here oh, oh you know being a little bit more mobile i, I don't know I, I just feel like the process stuff has just become super fun man yeah. i i i feel like i do my hunting in like the the summer and the early fall now and you know yeah. when i'm when i'm planting i, I mean i just am Man, I talk back to earmarking time. Like, I will earmark time for for working on habitat work and yeah. food plot. I'm, yeah. I mean, you know, and I'll come home, I mean, just an absolute mess, and I'll walk in the door and Heather will just, like, laugh at me. She's, like, oh, a little dusty today. Yeah. <laughs> you know, because I'll be out tilling or doing whatever. But I I love that part. I yeah. mean, there's – uh, the first food plot I ever planted was a long, long time ago it was on a piece of ground that I got permission for from this doctor who owned it. And my friend and I, you know, told him we'd plant the food plots. He just had to let us borrow his tractor in order to do it. And he he said, yeah, sure. And opening day of bow season that year, we, we went out the three of us, the doctor, my friend and I, and uh, I was sitting on one of those food plots and we planted three, uh, two little teeny like eighth acre ones. And then one that was probably half an acre total. Yeah. And I watched a deer walk into one of those food plots that we that we planted, and I was like, "I did that. you know what I mean? I created that place for them to come and for that that food for them to eat on, and it was just like such an overwhelming feeling yeah. knowing that you know what I mean? it was it was just it was so cool now I probably take it for granted, but
0: yeah
1: um." I just really, it was just, it was a, a doe and two fawns. But so yeah. watching them just waltz in and start eating on something that I put in the dirt. I had no farming experience. I had no food plot experience. I didn't know what I was doing. I just read a bunch of stuff, went to some seminars, had some friends that were doing it. And I learned from them. And um, it was awesome. And, yeah. and to sort of any more to see the way that you can sort of build a mouse trap and have it come together. Mm-hmm. That's way more enjoyable and way more um satisfying than going out and trying to make it happen every single day in october november december you know whatever so
0: do you ever get the urge to go back to the old ways and and stomp on public or knock on doors on a different state and, and and like go straight banshee again
1: oh yeah oh yeah you know i'll hunt on public every once in a while um and I'll, I'll go and I'll check out public ground and look for spots to do stuff, you know, topography or yeah. you know, scenes or that type of thing. And, and I'll get excited about it. But you know, um, it's I just I don't do it as much. But yeah. you know, I same thing. Like I I kind of just don't deviate as much from what. I have and is sort of a little bit of a known commodity. Although if I do get a new piece of ground, I get pretty excited about it. Or, yeah. you know, I also have the benefit of, I sell land, right? So I get to go and walk ground every day. And when I do, well, not every day, but most days. And when I look at that ground, I'm looking at ways to change it or or what the deer are doing now you know I was on a piece of ground a couple days ago and I was like wow this place this place is probably awesome if I was hunting this I'd have a stand here or I'd be doing this or you know I'd I'd cut this or do that and approach from here and so I get to kind of like mentally break stuff down all the time and that's super fun and it's kind of like back to the process thing like solving that riddle and um watching things unfold is just yeah I, I Again, I, I have a much higher level of appreciation for that component of the whole process than just loosing an arrow or firing a bullet and that's yeah. it. That used to be like the pinnacle, and now it's not. The pinnacle has slid back to the earlier stages of everything.
0: Yeah, yeah. So you work for Whitetail Properties, correct? Yep. Okay, whitetail properties, they, you sell land, uh, whether it's farm ground or recreational. And I want to talk yep. about recreational uh, land for just a second, you know, and we'll just focus on deer hunting or whatever, you know, some, they want to hunt on this land. That's one of the reasons they're buying it. What, what are your clients looking for when they come to you and say, Tim, I want to buy a farm so I can hunt on it? What, what are they looking for? and what like is it is it like reality or it, do you have to yeah. set expectations
1: uh it depends upon the level of experience and education that the person has you know i would say in all the people that we've worked with i have probably had a handful that were truly serious you know hardcore big buck hunters yeah um and those guys know, first of all, they know specifically what they're looking for, generally speaking. They know specifically what they're hoping to achieve. And in, in my group, they, they generally have had the means to accomplish whatever the next step is. They're not afraid of looking at a piece of raw ground. They will look at a piece of turnkey ground where somebody else has already done the work, but you know, they always have different expectations. The challenge that we face here in new york um you know we've got some we've got some good deer like but the whole nation now has good deer i don't care where you are you could be in connecticut you got good deer you can be here in new york pennsylvania michigan iowa nebraska indiana you know where at ohio everywhere's got good deer you know i think even in the South where people have said, Oh, there's no good deer in South Carolina. Well, you know, some of the stuff that's coming out now, yeah, there are some good deer in those places. So it's identifying the places where they, they exist and then maximizing that. So in my real estate territory, I've got pockets that like, okay, yeah, you're, you're looking for good deer hunting. We're going to look in these specific towns, you know, because, Those specific towns, you can't look at it like a county. It's not like, you know, whatever counties in Illinois or Iowa or wherever that are very specific. I mean, everywhere you go in Iowa is almost good, but, um, you know, but like you get into these certain towns, and there's just these little hubs, and you might have two thousand acres. Right. And they're just producing bomber deer left and right, left and right in that, in that block, Mm -hmm. you know, in that little portion of town. And so when we have guys that are serious, we'll direct them to those, those areas and what's available and then try and find stuff again, whether it's turnkey or something that they can turn into what they, what they want it to be. So
0: gotcha. um, Gotcha. As a, as a landowner now, has, has your feeling for, the natural resource, have you got, do you feel like you are in some way, shape, or form, kind of uh, responsible for the natural resource being a landowner?
1: Well, I don't own land. I just, I have the same, I've leased the same land. Oh, okay. The same people for 20 years. And so I have a lot of latitude with them. Like Mm -hmm. I have a really strong relationship with those folks personally yeah and so as they've aged they've done less farming they've done and and as a result i've been able to take over and do stuff like they did a logging project uh like eight years ago and before they signed the contract they called me and they're like this is just wild you know they called me up they're like hey are you okay if we log this year it's like <laughs> it's <your man. laughs> you own it you yeah. know what i mean like but I'm so appreciative of that that level of, you know, respect for for my opinion. But it's like, I'm not paying. Well, I'm I'm probably paying most of the taxes. But like, I'm not. I'm. Not, I didn't pay for this. Like, your dad bought this ground. You boys have it now. I'm I'm a guest. I. I you know what I mean. I'm just. A, I'm a hotel guest. I'm a rat. You know. I'm just trying to shoot some beer. But we have such a good relationship, and I'm so grateful for that. And I'm sure like all things, eventually, you know, money will get in the way of that because they're going to want to retire. And there's been some talk of them wanting to sell their place and maybe me helping. And that's, that's a tough conversation. It's like, Oh, well, you know, undo your own, yep. you know, your own place, but it happens, you know, but, uh, but as far as the stewardship is concerned, that's one of the reasons why we've been able to maintain this long-term relationship is they've known since the beginning that like, you know, I cared about that land and I cared about that relationship and they were both very important to, you know, to me. So we've done this for, and they've had people offer way more money than what I pay. Yeah. You know, and the, and the one brother who kind of is the primary point of contact so it's well, one of the brothers passed away this year, but um, is owned by three, three brothers. And uh, they're always like, we know what we've got in you in your group and you know we know you guys and we know how much you care for the place and we know how much you, you know you monitor it and do all the things that you do and we we don't see any benefit in trying to take a risk and bringing someone else here for for what okay they're going to pay us more money for one year and they don't know how to leverage the resource and then then they're dissatisfied. And then what, then we have another group in here. Like, no, we know every year you're, you're coming back. We know exactly who you are and what we're getting. And there's comfort in that. Mm-hmm. I have a, a high level of appreciation for that because that's not common anymore. You know, a lot of people are like, Oh, I can get $2,000 more than what those guys are paying me. Let's do it. You, you know, yeah. it's just like, yeah. so. Um,
0: Recently yeah. I had a, a guy on from Texas Okay, and he was talking about how tech, like the only the only thing he's ever known is pay to play, either through hunt yeah. clubs or leasing, or um, like obviously there's a lot of outfitting down there as well. Where do you think the direction of the Midwest, and I'm I'm going to include New York, Pennsylvania, in in the Northeast into this conversation as well. Do you yeah. do you see the future of hunting going? towards that direction of texas
1: i think we're already there I, I i you know i mean that's the biggest thing that i hear from people is lack of access mm-hmm. you, you know and it's and i'm guilty of this right you know you you might have 400 acres that used to have 10 people that hunted it and now three people hunt it mm-hmm. you know and um you, you see it all over the place but I also, until a few years ago, I also heard people just totally bash hunting on public ground. Mm-hmm. And I just, I look at that and I go, dude, I mean, just access to acreage where I grew up, I grew up in New Jersey in the Northwest corner of New Jersey. And people are going to think, oh, New Jersey, like wh- what do they have for hunting there? Well, in the Northwest corner, we had, I had like within 40 minutes of my house, I had like 50,000 acres of different pieces of public that I could go and hunt.
0: Yeah.
1: And It was awesome you know what i mean like i had i had a wind a stand for every single wind direction you you know no matter what i wasn't pigeonholed to oh no i got to my spot and there's a truck parked there Mm -hmm. okay i just moved to the next one because i had three more on that piece of public for that particular wind direction like there's a there's a lot of flexibility in that and you know i can't say that i killed a bunch of big bucks on public in new jersey but i have killed a few here in new york you know on public ground and um same thing i I hunted this piece of public that was like seven thousand acres not far from where we live and man i've walked darn near every inch of that place and i just love that you know and it was mostly big woods but edged by ag and that type of stuff in some spots and you go and you take advantage of that but there was, it was always an adventure and, and that was fun. So kind of back to my point is you still have access to, to ground mm-hmm. and it's just people want to turn their nose up to it because they don't they don't think about the opportunities or they, they think, well, that, like there's a truck in my spot. Well, it's not your spot. It's public, it's public land. You know mm-hmm. what I mean? So just do the work to go find another spot that you still have a high level of confidence in. You know, the only time where that became a little trickier was during gun season. Mm-hmm. Um, when the pressure is on, you got more guys walking around and just not as experienced or not as educated or doing deer drives and really getting the deer spooked up and that type of stuff that would get sort of tough Yeah. Um, both in New Jersey and here at home. But, but otherwise like, you know, I think, I think there's a lot of opportunity and, but yeah, to your question, we're deaf. We're already there. I mean, I see it in the place I hunt in Illinois. I see it here at home. I mean, I've, again, through my real estate business, like I work with a, a few people that own lots and lots of land and they, they lease most of their ground up. And I am blown away by how much they're leasing that stuff per acre in yeah. New York. You know, it's high dollar stuff and people are clamoring to get access to ground up. Yeah. Just absolutely clamoring for it. I mean, you could lease least darn near anything here, you yeah. know, so. Yeah. And I can understand that
0: in a state that has a lot of public ground, or maybe not even a lot, but more, I you know, I'm talking about Iowa now. I think the the county that I grew up in had, I want to say, in an entire county, maybe 200 acres of public ground. And there's mm. there's certain states, or certain counties in Iowa that have, don't have any public land, yeah, you know what I mean? Or if they do, it's like a field, it's a a field a strip of field that's planted in prairie grass. you know it's it's nothing, maybe for yep. pheasant hunting, no deer hunting. And so I look at I look at the future of hunting in a state like Iowa, where eventually it's going to turn into private landowners being the gatekeepers of hunting access in some way, shape, or form. And the in the direction that everybody goes, as far you know, as far as pay to play, some people can afford it, others cannot. And so it's just something I'm always thinking about, all these different layers that that kind of come into play when talking about the future of hunting. And so I'm always Interested in talking with any anybody from guys who hunt public to landowners to guys who lease, you know, to guys to get all their thoughts on on the direction of hunting. And maybe this is the a little bit of the pessimist in me, but I just feel like it's the glory days of hunting are over and it's now come to a like storage rental type of deal. Right. <laughs> I don't, and, and that's the first thing that to, came into my mind, but it's like, Hey, I got this place. It's for sale or it's for lease. You know, if you want to hunt, you got to pay for it. Right. Cause I can't, yeah. I can't, in Iowa, I can't knock on doors anymore. It, it It's rare.
1: Yeah. Permission permission is really really rare i was listening to a podcast a few years ago and there was a guy on there a pretty well-known dude i'm not going to mention his name but he was saying like he sends out these letters to landowners and he's got to send out at least 20 for permission Mm -hmm. right but 20 letters to get one permission opportunity where where he was hunting and again that was in iowa in an area that's not as desirable as some of the other places in that state but yeah yeah, i think access is definitely one of our biggest challenges and threats for the future and and for retention Mm -hmm. you know it's definitely going to continue to be a thing it's tough because you could you could say that the boomer generation is sort of going to start retiring out of hunting, starting to see that guys in their seventies or eighties or, you know, support portions in their sixties. Um, but then I think you start to lose some of the financial component of them being license holders and, and all of their contributions, mm-hmm. um, as well as just the, the overall industry yeah. and, um, and then also there's the strength and numbers component of that, you, you know, so like if we start losing at X percent per year, that's going to start to be, and we're sure, I think we're already starting to see that a little bit with people aging out. That's going to be, that's going to be both an opportunity and a threat. It'll be an opportunity because you'll have to put less people into the space mm-hmm. available, but it's a threat because now we have a smaller voice. Yeah. Hopefully we can still speak with a louder tone, yeah. but we'll, we'll see, we'll
0: see. Yeah. You know, so. I don't know, man. I just, uh, I, I just, I just can't help. Just, I keep thinking about my kids. I'm like, where are they, yeah. where are they going to hunt when I am no longer hunting? And so I got to do my job on how to teach them how to kill deer. Right. And not just be like, Hey, you can sit right here in this box and you can shoot them when they come out because i've never hunted that way i doubt they're ever going to hunt that way and so i got to figure out like it is actually on a piece of paper in one of my notebooks where it's it's like things to do in 2024 and it's just educate my kids on how to become outdoorsmen
1: the thing is too there's there's a lot of really good hunters out there yeah and you know I'm, I'm not special when it comes to hunting. You know, like yeah. I'm sure if anybody were to walk on, you know, any place that I hunt they'd be like, "Oh yeah, that idiot put a stand in a very obvious spot." Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like yeah. and so there's a lot of people that that can find success and it doesn't matter whether it's elk or antelope or mule deer or whitetails or turkeys or whatever like people are able to identify where those animals are and um as a result it's going to attract more individuals to those areas whether it's public or private you know what i'm saying like you know concentration of people and that's that's sort of what we're seeing with the western hunting side of things it's like you know especially elk it's just gotten harder and harder and harder and to your to your point tony and i were actually talking about this via text the other day like the glory days of elk hunting gone yeah i mean i I think they're over man and i think he and i missed it by 20 years i you know i mean it's harder to get a tag it's it's harder to find access and and when you do find animals on public other hunters that are of the same quality or better than you have already identified where there are so it's like it's like a night at the Roxbury. Like we're all humping each other to sort of get in there, <laughs> whatever you know? So yeah, what's up, what's up, what's up, what's up, you know? So
0: me, you, you going after that? Me, you, me, yeah, you, yeah, me, yeah. you. <laughs> uh, yeah. Oh man. Um, do you, do you have a memory over the course of your hunting career that stands out Maybe it's a a specific year or a season or maybe even a specific hunt, per se, that sticks out that you think about often.
1: Hmm. I don't have, like, any one particular thing that's, like, the pinnacle day or pinnacle thing. i mean i mean it's not not really man yeah. I, you know I, I can think of like a lot of very distinct days that are indelibly in in my memory for different reasons i think a lot of people intuitively would think like oh well, on that day i found success or maybe you found failure like mm-hmm. maybe you're <laughs> maybe the arrow didn't hit its mark you know but um I can think of, you know, days where just saw a lot of movement or the yeah. the weather did some really cool stuff. I mean but but it's not like one particular thing that's like at the apex and it's like, Oh, that was the day. Yeah. You know, I, I mean I think of this one morning I always thought this was cool. I don't know if you've ever heard of ice fog where like fog actually freezes. Like you hear about it like in Alaska and that type of stuff. Well, you know, there was this one morning um, that I went out and I was I was bow hunting and it started out you know it was foggy it was really really still and the and the wind picked up and the temperature wind picked up just ever so slightly but the temperature dropped and when it did that it just everything crystallized and it was it was like moving the fog was like moving in the air because of just that little bit of air movement whether it was the thermals or whatever yeah it was the cool and like. I remember at that time I used to have a little a little thread off my stabilizer and and I kind of like uh, would wad up the end so that way I could see what the wind was doing. And I remember that all just like crystallized over the time that I was in the stand. It's just one day that like yeah. a unique, you know, and I, I, I saw a few deer that morning. It was relatively slower, like most still days are in my experience, but um, it was just really, really cool. And then I can remember a couple other days, you know, again, where it wasn't just about the deer, it was like you know, sitting in this one spot and, um, again, wind, wind picks up and it's just raining these golden yellow leaves. Oh, yeah. just, they're just, they're just coming down and coming down and coming down and just sitting there and thinking like, this is why it's worth it to be out here. Oh, you know, catching sunsets and sunrises and all that type of stuff. I mean, yeah. you know, I had one day that this past fall caught a, just a killer sunrise, one of the best ever. And then had one of the best mornings of deer hunting, that i've ever had without a buck tag in my pocket you know it's just just <laughs> watching a parade of bucks and does and everything else and you know i ended up shooting a doe that morning but like it was it was awesome it was just just super cool but but i have lots of those that i try and i try and remember and that's why i go out there you yeah. know it's why i do those things so yeah um, you know and then there's some things where you know you shared a a hunt with somebody you sat together or you did something else and like i have some funny ass stories of you know two assholes sitting in rainbow chairs <laughs> on the ground that's all we had <laughs> bears, no, that's all we had access to in the place that we were hunting you know and we found some deer that were doing some stuff and just like all right well you we gotta work with what we got <laughs> you know, just building this makeshift ground blind me and my buddy and just you know yeah Doing dumb stuff and having fun. And that's what it's all about. It's not all serious all the time anymore. Yeah.
0: Yeah. I was was talking on previous uh, episodes. You know, I I have openly talked about drinking and alcohol and things like that. And I, you know, I said, hey, man, I think it costs me quite a bit of time. But in that time frame, I'm sitting in a tree stand when I used to film my hunts for White Knuckle. Um, my buddy, Ryan, he was in the tree with me a lot and he goes, Hey man, those, those drunken stories, they got us through a lot of long sits. So he appreciated the stories that came out of my alcohol, (laughs) alcoholism. (laughs) Is that Iberg? Yeah. Iberg. Yeah. Ryan. Yep.
1: That guy's awesome.
0: Yeah, for sure. So, yeah, I mean, we, we would. And I guess that's where you know the word we're talking about now is just like perspective, right? And and just how I don't know every moment is is so of life is so important, man.
1: I I do have a good sharing a blind story with a with a with a dude. So I was out in Montana antelope hunting with my buddy Keith god i hope he hears this i'll have to send him the link because he'll laugh so we're out there and uh the first day that we're there it was just it was i think it was like labor day weekend and uh the first day that we're there we're sitting this this little stock tank right on the border of uh some public and some private like we're like maybe 30 yards away from the edge you know and so we could see these antelope and they were bedded up on the hill out in front of us. We got in there before dark and whatever else, or before daylight rather. And uh, we're sitting there and all of a sudden I see a warden's truck. You could see the road, yeah. you know, I like most of the stuff. I see the warden's truck drive up the road. You'd hear it, you know, right. along the gravel. And then that thing turns back around or comes back the other direction. I was like, I wonder if that guy's going to come out and, give us a hassle you know and, yeah. when one of these antelope that was up bedded up on the hill was a, was really really nice you know just a just a beauty heart shape horns and yep. whatever else the well, next thing we know you know it's been a little while and we don't think anything of it we didn't hear that truck anymore well a few minutes later we hear somebody walking up behind us and where we were there was it was actually a cloud field mm-hmm. and uh Behind us wasn't was an alfalfa field and, that, and the water tank. That's why we were hunting there. Anyway, so we hear somebody walking up behind us, and I can't get the blind door open or whatever. And next thing I know, I hear knock, knock, game warden. Like the antelope take off, you know, as expected, right? They may have taken off beforehand, and we didn't know why. But yeah, Doug does a full overview of my license whether or not i was shooting you you couldn't shoot mechanicals at that or maybe you could shoot mechanicals not lighted knocks that what it was checks my knocks make sure i'm not shooting lighted knocks ask me i pounded to my bow my let off i mean he's just running me through the ringer on on all the questions and you know he's here and my buddy we had a video camera he's like well what are you guys filming for we're like just we just just for ourselves like oh it's not for is it for commercial use and i'm like no we're not filming for anything it's just it's just for me and he, he, you know, ran us through cause obviously we would have had to have had a filming permit if mm-hmm. we were doing anything with the footage. So as a result of our game warden experience, we end up deciding that we're going to move spots up to another water hole. That's further up the road. So we go and we set up on this water hole and that was actually on some uh, block management ground. So We had to get permission from this guy who I, I won't say his name, but between my friend and I, he will forever be famous. So we we set up on this water hole up there. First day we come in, we watched, you know, we, we watch all these antelope and whatever. We, we ended up running into that guy like midday or at the end of the day, and he talks to us, dude. The guy is hammered up, man. I mean, he is just shit faced drunk. So every time we run into him, he is shit faced drunk. Like, this guy's my hero, you know, at that point <laughs> in my life. So we go to We go to this water hole again the third day. We had left our blind and we go in and we're sitting there. And then like, you know, like late morning. All of a sudden, like, this 80s rock music, and I don't remember what it was. I wish I could have made the fun- story funnier, comes on. He's just he's just blasting it, you know what I mean? Like, whatever, Journey or some shit, just, just blasting out. Well, that goes on for a little while, and, you know, one would think you'd be discouraged, but this guy and I are in good spirits, and those antelopes seem completely unaffected, you know? And, yep. and this guy was one of the ones that told us to come up and hunt that water hole that he yeah. saw antelope all the time well a little while after that we're sitting there you know again it's getting to the heat of the day temperatures rising and all of a sudden we hear like porn (laughs) pornography yes (laughs) like like the moaning of porn (laughs) like at the same level as the music happening from this guy's house right because like i said we're not far from this house we're a couple hundred yards dude is clearly watching porn blasting it at you know cranking it up to 11 for however many minutes until he's done apparently yeah yeah the, the, the porn gets turned off and uh my buddy and i are just dying and you know what i mean like what's that noise
0: you You're listen closely
1: so fucking dude up there. is he fucking with us you know what i mean like so this story is literally this dude is infamous for us and uh you know this story is legendary and we ended up killing an antelope that night you know later that yeah. night, way later that afternoon but yeah that was my only experience that so that that one probably is like the the apex funny story wow. you know where wow. everything came together and we even got entertained uh unexpectedly yeah by <laughs> that's yeah, funny well by the, by the crazy drunk guy who's block management land we were on
0: what what state was that you said montana okay montana where you know he's probably you i mean in montana you probably can play pornography uh as loud as you want with your windows open uh, surround sound because no one no one's really going to hear it except maybe oh. couple hunters (laughs)
1: for sure and his place was like the only place on that road for quite a distance because they owned multiple sections on that (laughs) on that road you know what i mean and it was intermittent between blm land and then this block management ground yeah so what year was was that oh uh it was the year our younger daughter was born so that would have been 2011
0: okay 2011 so do you think do you think the pornography was dvd or vhs did he seem old school
1: dude this this was definitely vhs yeah that's what i thought if i had to judge by the man i mean he (laughs) let's put it this way the dude like was was living on 30 racks of natural ice so yeah, there's no question
0: it was VHS. I there's dude, no I can inv- I am envisioning th- this dude in my head right now, and I, I bet you if I could turn my thought into an actual picture, it'd be a pretty close representation of this guy. You'd probably nail it. Yeah. Yeah.
1: yeah. You'd probably
0: nail it. Oh man, yeah. I've I've been in a tree stand before, nothing nothing like that, but I've been close enough to a couple houses where I I heard an, a wife and a husband get into a pretty heated argument where shit was being thrown in the house and i'm like yeah do i need to call the sheriff right now i but i don't think there was any domestic violence going on i just think that they were in a really heated heated argument
1: they were emphasizing their points exactly exactly yeah yeah we, we so we later you know went to town and took that antelope to the processor and ended up talking to a, a few people and you know turns out around town the guy's nickname was drunk dean
0: <laughs> old old drunk dean
1: i see you met old drunk dean <laughs>
0: yeah yep, we sure did sure sure did sure did yeah oh did. man
1: behind his waterhole was awesome <laughs> go. Yeah.
0: mr tim kent man i really do appreciate you taking time out of your day to hop on and bs with me for a little bit great conversation is always between us and and uh Uh, Sending good vibes to you and your family, and I hope uh, this upcoming season, man, uh, pays off for you.
1: Thanks. You too, dude.